Chapter Ten of Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Malbach. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maggie Travers. Chapter Ten: The Inheritance of the Dolphin. For four weeks, the National Assembly met daily at Versailles. That is to say, for four weeks, the political excitement grew greater day by day. The struggle of the parties more pronounced and fierce only with this qualification that the party which attacked the queen was stronger than that which defended her or rather to express the exact truth there was no party for marie antoinette there were only here and there devoted friends who dared to encounter the odium which their position called down upon them dared face the calamities which were set in circulation by the other parties that of the people the democrats that of orleans that of the princes and princesses of the royal family all these united their forces in order to attack the austrian to obscure the last gleams of the love and respect which were paid to her in happier days when mirbeau made the proposition in the national assembly that the person of the king should be declared inviolable there arose from all these four hundred representatives of the french nation only one man who dared to declare with a loud voice and with defiant face the persons of the king and queen shall be declared inviolable this was toulon the soldier of the queen but the assembly replied to this demand only with loud murmurs and scornful laughter not a voice was raised in support of this last cry in favor of the queen and the assembly decreed only this the person of the king is inviolable that means said the queen to the police minister brunet who brought the queen every morning tidings of what had occurred at paris and versailles that means that my death warrant was signed yesterday your majesty goes too far cried the minister in horror i think that this has an entirely different meaning the national assembly has not pronounced the person of the queen inviolable because they want to say that the queen has nothing to do with politics and therefore it is unnecessary to pass judgment upon the inviolability of the queen ah oh, sighed the queen i should have been happy if i had not been compelled to trouble myself with these dreadful politics it certainly was not in my wish nor in my character my enemies have compelled me to it it is they who have turned the simple artless queen into intriguer ah madame said the minister astonished you use their too harsh a word you speak as if they belong to your enemies no i use the right word cried marie antoinette sadly my enemies have made an intriguer of me every woman who goes beyond her knowledge and the bounds of her duty in meddling with politics is nothing better than an intriguer you see at last that i do not flatter myself although it troubles me to have to give myself so bad a name the queens of france are happy only when they have nothing to trouble themselves about and reserve only influence enough to give pleasure to their friends and reward their faithful servants do you know what recently happened to me continued the queen with a sad smile as i was going into the privy council chamber to have a consultation with the king i heard while passing orly de Beauf, one of the musicians saying so loudly that i had to listen to every word a queen who does her duty stays in her own room and busies herself with her sewing and knitting 
I said within myself, Poor fellow, you are right, but you don't know my unhappy condition. I yield only to necessity, and my bad luck urges me forward. Ah, madame, said the minister with a sigh, you that they would accuse you of mingling in politics out of ambition and love of power. Would that they could hear your majesty complain of yourself in these moving words. My friend, said Marie Antoinette with a sad smile, if they heard it, they would say that it was only something learned by heart, with which I was trying to disarm the righteous anger of my enemies. It is in vain to want to excuse or justify myself, for no one will hear a word. I must be guilty, I must be criminal, that they who accuse me may appear to have done right, that they may ascend while they pull me down. But let us not speak more of this. I know my future. I feel it clear and plain in my mind and in my soul that I am lost. But I will at least fight courageously and zealously to the last moment. And, if I must go down, it shall be at least with honor, true to myself and true to the views and opinions in which I have been trained. Now, go on. Let me know the new libels and accusations which have been disseminated about me. The minister drew from his portfolio a whole package of pamphlets and spread them upon a little table before the queen. "'So much at once,' said the queen sadly, turning over the papers. "'How much trouble I make to my enemies, and how much they must hate me that I have such tendency of life! Here is a pamphlet entitled, Good Advice to Madame de Fichon, to leave France as soon as possible.' "'Madame de Fichon!' That means me, doesn't it? It is a name, your majesty, which the wickedness of the Duke d'Orleans has imposed upon your majesty, answered the minister, with a shrug of his shoulders. The eyes of the queen flashed in anger. She opened her lips to utter a chloric word, but she governed herself, and went on turning over the pamphlets and caricatures. While doing that, while reading the words charged with poison of wickedness and hate, the tears coursed slowly over her cheeks, and once in a while a convulsive gasp forced itself from her breast. Brunet pitied the deep sorrow of the queen. He begged her to discontinue this sad perusal. He wanted to gather up again the contemptuous writings, but Marie Antoinette held his hand back. "'I must know everything, everything,' she said. Go on, bring me everything, and do not be hindered by my tears. It is, of course, natural that I am sensitive to the evil words that are spoken about me, and to the bad opinion that is cherished towards me by a people that I love, and to win whose love I am prepared to make every sacrifice. At this moment the door of the cabinet was dashed open without ceremony, and the Duchess de Polignac entered. Forgiveness, your majesty, forgiveness, that I have ventured to disturb you, but— "'What is it?' cried the queen, springing up. "'You come to announce misfortune to me, Duchess. "'It concerns the Dauphin, does it not? "'His illness has increased?' "'Yes, Your Majesty. "'Cramps have set in, and the physicians fear the worst.' "'Oh, God! Oh, God!' cried the queen, "'raising both her hands to heaven. "'Is every misfortune to beat down upon me? "'I shall lose my son, my dear child!' Here I sit weeping pitiful tears about the malice of my enemies, and all this while my child is wrestling in the pains of death. 
farewell sir i must go to my child and the queen forgetting everything else thinking only of her child the sick dying dolphin hurried forward dashing through the room with such quick step that the duchess could scarcely follow her is he dead cried marie antoinette to the servant standing in the antechamber of the dolphin she did not await the reply but burst forward hastily opening the door of the sick-room and entered there upon the bed beneath the gold-fringed canopy lay the pale motionless boy with open staring eyes with parched lips and wandering mind and it was her child it was the dauphine of france around his bed stood the physicians the quickly summoned priest and the servants looking with sorrowful eyes at the poor deathly pale creature that was now no more than a withered flower a son of dust that must return to dust then they looked sadly at the pale trembling wife who crouched before the bed and who now was nothing more than a sorrow-stricken mother who must bow before the hand of fate and feel that she had no more power over life and death than the meanest of her subjects she bent over the bed she put her arms tenderly around the little shrunken form of the poor child that had long been sick and that was now confronting death she covered the pale face of her son with kisses and watered it with her tears and these kisses these tears of his mother awakened the child out of his stupor and called him back to life the dauphin louis rose up once more raised his great eyes and when he saw the countenance of his mother above him bathed in tears he smiled and sought to raise his head and move his hand to greet her but death had already laid his iron bands upon him and held him back upon the couch of his last sufferings are you in pain my child whispered marie antoinette kissing him affectionately are you suffering the boy looked at her tenderly i do not suffer he whispered so softly that it sounded like the last breath of a departing spirit i only suffer if i see you weep mamma marie antoinette quickly dried her tears and kneeling near the bed found power in her motherly love to summon a smile to her lips in order that the dauphine whose eyes remained fixed upon her might not see that she was suffering a deep silence prevailed now in the apartment nothing was heard but the gently whispered prayers of the spectators and the slow labored breathing of the dying child once the door was lightly opened and a man's figure stole lightly in advanced on tiptoe to the bed and sank on his knees close by marie antoinette it was the king who had just been summoned from the council room to see his son die and now with a loud voice the priest began the prayers for the dying and all present softly repeated them only the queen could not her eyes were fastened upon her son who now saw her no more for his eyes were fixed in the last death struggle still one last gasp one last breath then came a cry from marie antoinette's lips and her head sank upon the hand of her son which rested in her own and which was now stiff a few tears coursed slowly over the cheeks of the king and his hands folded in prayer trembled the priest raised his arms and with a loud solemn voice cried the lord gave 
the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen, whispered all present. Amen, said the king, closing with gentle pressure the open eyes of his son. God has taken you to himself, my son, perhaps because he wanted to preserve you from much trouble and sorrow. Blessed be his name. But the queen still bowed over the cold face of the child and kissed his lips. Farewell, my son, she whispered. Farewell. Ah, oh, why could I not die with you? With you fly from this pitiful, sorrow-stricken world. Then, as if the queen regretted the words which the mother had spoken with sighs, Marie Antoinette rose from her knees and turned to the priest, who was sprinkling the corpse of the dauphine with holy water. Father, said she, the children of poor parents, who may be born today in Versailles, are each to receive from me the sum of a thousand francs. I wish that the deathbed of my son may be a day of joy for the poor who have not, like me, lost a child, but gained one, and that the lips of happy mothers may bless the day on which my boy died. Have the goodness to bring me tomorrow morning a list of the children born today. Come, Marie, said the king. The body of our son belongs no more to the living, but to the grave of our ancestors in Saint-Denis. His soul to God. The Dauphine is dead. Long live the Dauphine. Madame de Pognac, conduct the Dauphine to us in the cabinet of his mother. And, with the proud and dignified bearing which was peculiar to the king in great and momentous epics, he extended his arm to the queen and conducted her out of the death chamber and through the adjacent apartments to her cabinet. Ah! Oh, cried the queen. Here we are alone. Here I can weep for my poor lost child. And she threw her arms around the neck of her husband and leaning her head upon his breast, wept aloud. The king pressed her closely to his heart and the tears which flowed from his own eyes fell in hot drops upon the head of the queen. Neither saw the door beyond lightly open, and the Duchess de Pognac appear there. But when she saw the royal pair in close embrace, when she heard their loud weeping, she drew back, stooped down to the little boy who stood by her side, whispered a few words to him, and, while gently pushing him forward, drew back herself, and gently closed the door behind them. The little fellow stood a moment irresolutely at the door, fixing his eyes now upon his father and mother, now upon the nosegay of violets and roses which he carried in his hand. The little Louis Charles was of that sweet and touching beauty that brings tears into one's eyes and fills the heart with sadness, because the thought cannot be suppressed that life, with its rough wintry storms, will have no pity on this tender blossom of innocence and that the beaming angel face of the child must one day be changed into the clouded, weather-beaten, furrowed face of the man. A cheering sight to look upon was the little, delicate figure of the four-year-old boy, pleasing in his whole appearance. Morocco boots, with red tips, covered his little feet. Broad trousers of dark blue velvet came to his knees and were held together at the waist by a blue silk sash whose lace-tipped ends fell at his left side. He wore a blue velvet jacket 
with a tastefully embroidered lace ruffle around the neck. The round, rosy face, with the ruby lips, the dimple in the chin, the large blue eyes, shaded by long dark lashes, and crowned by the broad, lofty brow, was rimmed around with a profusion of golden hair, which fell in long, heavy locks upon his shoulders and over his neck. The child was as beautiful to look upon as one of the angels and Raphael's Sistine Madonna, and he might have been taken for one had it not been for the silver-embroidered, brilliant star upon his left side. This star, which designated his princely rank, was for the pretty child the seal of his mortality, the seal which ruin had already impressed upon his innocent child's breast. One moment the boy stood indecisively there, looking at his weeping parents. Then he turned quickly forward, and, holding up his nosegay, he said, "'Mamma, I have brought you some flowers from my garden.' Marie Antoinette raised her head and smiled through her tears as she looked at her son. The king loosened his embrace from the queen in order to lift up the prince. "'Marie,' said he, holding him up to his wife, Marie, this is our son. This is the Dauphin of France. Marie Antoinette took his head between her hands and looked long, with tears in her eyes, and yet smiling all the while into the lovely, rosy face of her boy. Then she stooped down and impressed a long, tender kiss upon his smooth forehead. God love you, my child, she said solemnly. God bless you, Dauphin of France. May the storms which now darken our horizon have long been past when you shall ascend the throne of your fathers. God bless and defend you, Dauphin of France. But, Mamma, asked the boy timidly, why do you call me Dauphin today? I am your little Louis, and I am called Duke de Normandy. My son, said the king solemnly, God has been pleased to give you another name and another calling. Your poor brother, Louis, has left us forever. He has gone to God, and you are now Dauphine of France. And God grant that it be for your good, said the queen with a sigh. The little prince slowly shook his locks. It certainly is not for my good, said he, else mamma would not weep. She is weeping, my child, said the queen. She is weeping because your brother who was the Dauphin, has left us. "'And will he never come back?' asked the child eagerly. "'No, Louis, he will never come back.' The boy threw both his arms around the neck of the queen. "'Ah!' he cried. "'How can anyone ever leave his dear mamma and never come back? "'I will never leave you, mamma. "'I pray God you speak the truth,' sighed the queen, pressing him tenderly to herself. I pray God I may die before you both. Not before me, oh, not before me, ejaculated the king, shuddering. Without you, my dear one, my life were a desert. Without you, the king of France were the poorest man in the whole land. He smiled sadly at her. And with me, he will perhaps be the most unfortunate one she whispered softly, as if to herself. "'Never unfortunate, if you are with me, and if you love me,' cried the king warmly. 
weep no more we must overcome our grief and comfort ourselves with what remains i say to you once more the dauphin is dead long live the dauphin papa king said the boy quickly you say the dauphin is dead and has left us has he taken everything away with him that belongs to him no my son he has left everything you are now the dauphin and some time will be king of france for you are the heir of your brother what does that mean his heir asked the child it means answered the king that to you belong now the titles and honors of your brother nothing but that asked the prince timidly i do not want his titles and honors you are the heir to the throne you have now the title of dauphin of france the little one timidly grasped the hand of his mother and lifted his great blue eyes supplicatingly to her mamma queen he whispered do you not think the title of duke de normandy sounds just as well or will you love me more if i am called dauphin of france no my son answered the queen i shall not love you better and i should be very happy if you were now the duke de normandy then mamma cried the boy eagerly i am not at all glad to receive this new title but i should like to know whether i have received anything else from my dear sick brother anything else asked the king in amazement what would you desire my child the little prince cast down his eyes i should not like to tell papa but if it is true that the dauphin has left us and is not coming back again and yet has not taken away everything which belongs to him there is something which i should very much like to have and which would please me more than than that i am now the dauphin the king turned his face inquiringly to the queen do you understand marie what he wants to say he whispered i think i can guess answered marie antoinette softly and she walked quickly across the room opened the door of the adjoining apartment and whispered a few words to the page who was there then she returned to the king but while doing so she stepped upon the bouquet which had fallen out of the boy's hands when his father lifted him up oh my pretty violets my pretty roses cried the prince sadly and his face put on a sorrowful expression but he quickly brightened and looking up at the queen he said smiling mamma queen i wish you always walked on flowers which i have planted and plucked for you at this moment the door softly opened and a little black dog stepped in and ran forward whining directly up to the prince mouflet cried the child falling upon his knee mouflet the little dog with its long curly locks of hair put its forepaws upon the shoulders of the boy and eagerly and tenderly licked his laughing rosy face now my louis asked the queen have i guessed right wasn't it the doggy that you wanted so much mamma queen has guessed it cried the boy joyfully putting his arms around the neck of the dog does mouflet belong to my inheritance too do i receive him since my brother has left him behind yes my son 
the little dog belongs to your inheritance answered the king with a sad smile the child shouted with pleasure and pressed the dog close to his breast mouflet is mine he cried glowing with joy mouflet is my inheritance the queen slowly raised to heaven her eyes red with weeping oh the innocence of childhood the happiness of childhood she said softly why do they not go with us through life why must we tread them under feet like the violets or rid roses of my son a kingdom falls to him as his portion and yet he takes pleasure in the little dog which only licks his hands love is the fairest inheritance for love remains with us till death end of chapter ten recording by maggie travers in casilla mississippi